So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now, for the review of the day, meat and potatoes, five stars from Ben Incusi. Five stars, meat and potatoes is the name of this review. Pat, I've listened to real estate rock stars consistently for over two years and love how you dig out the meat and potatoes from your guests. When the guests casually say something intriguing, Pat, make sure to dig deeper. And to help us all understand the value of what was just said, this podcast has definitely helped me and my team grow. Thank you, Ben, for your five-star review. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first. And then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. Welcome, Rockstar Nation. Thanks for tuning into the State of the Market Podcast with your host, Pat Hyben and Kevin Kaufman. All right, rock stars. I am ready for Freddie. I got Kevin Kaufman with me. We're getting ready to get down on some real estate sales news. Kevin, how you doing today? Doing good, Pat. What's going on, my brother? Welcome back. No, oh, thanks. Yeah, I went to Seattle for a week, had a little family reunion, got a little house that looked out over the pugent sound. I can't say that word. And uh, <laughs> Ah, it was great, man. It's good to be back, though, and um, back in the news, and we got a lot of it today. So uh, what do you want to talk about first, bro? Well, I got to tell you, like, the first thing is a real estate professional that I think has kind of caught everyone's attention was President of the United States attending the NAR event last week and speaking to realtors. It seemed to get quite the reaction. So I don't, I don't know if you got a chance to catch up on that, Pat, but that was, I thought that was pretty interesting that he would show up to an NAR event of all places. I mean... I guess well, he's yeah. a realtor. Yeah, well, he does, and uh, or, or a real estate professional by sure. We can't see his tax returns, but I'm sure that he uses that real estate professional exemption. I guarantee you, he still uses it today, even though he's taking us or not, or even though he's got another job, he's using that real estate professional that we all take and is one of the major benefits and in the tax code. You know, it was. Uh, yeah, I read all about it, and uh, you know, it, it's not abnormal. Or, or for a president to do this, lots of presidents have have addressed NAR. The last one uh, was 2005 with Bush. So it has been 12, you know, 14 years or so since somebody has stepped up and done it. But the 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 general consensus from it was very positive. You know what I mean? He was he's, you know, he went in there and he's like, hey, I'm one of you guys. Yeah, I th- he said to, he made some sort of mention of like it's in our blood, as you know that he, he can never get it out of, he can never get real estate out of his blood. I think I read the only time he really didn't get a positive reaction was uh, he talked about trying to pay brokers only 1% commission and that, that drew some booze. 
he jokingly followed that up with don't worry you know nobody accepted it <laughs> uh, but, but i tried like hell i mean he's I guess he's always negotiating, trying to get a, a better deal for himself. And that was probably the one, one thing he said that didn't resonate well with the crowd, it seems like. Yeah, it was interesting, right? And then, and then he said, and then, and then I got a bunch of them down to 4%, some 5 yeah. you know. But it's funny how he remembers all that. But he knows, I guess he knows everything, you know what I mean? And a lot of stuff he's dealing with was commercial, but I think he actually probably developed a lot of condos and you know had to sell said condos and had to negotiate of uh, evidently a four or five percent commission with the with the agent selling all those condos and uh, that was probably what he was recalling yeah no doubt so i mean it sounds to me like all the all the quotes and one-liners i saw from people in attendance all seemed to you know regardless of their political affiliation uh seem to appreciate his comments and appreciate his speech for the most part again minus that commission part which was obviously, uh, you know, tongue in cheek, I'm sure, with, with some truth behind it. But hey, I guess regardless of your political affiliation, having the president of the United States address your uh, crowd, your group of people, your peers is probably a good sign for, you know, for our industry, uh, quite frankly, with, especially when you consider all the change we got going on these days, right? You know, and it was well. It was a well-written speech. It was a it was a well tar- well-targeted speech. I mean, he addressed some things. He he addressed the the loosening of Dodd Frank, which has given rise to he called them local lenders, which it has right. But it's also given rise to uh, brokers again, right? And if you remember, yes. you know, brokers are starting to come out of the the woodwork and just work out of their house and such like that, and broker deals, which I again is not a bad thing you know, especially from the consumer because a broker is getting you, you know, well, well, shit, you know, lending tree is a broker, right? So, so what's wrong with the little guy being a broker? So the, so he mentioned that, which, which was interesting. And, uh, and he also mentioned, uh, privatizing, uh, Fannie and Freddie, you know, what, what are your thoughts there on some of these? Well, you know, I certainly I'll talk about the broker thing first. That's, that's been something I've noticed here just in my local market in Phoenix quite a bit over the last probably six to eight months. Uh, so there's no doubt that is having an impact there and we're starting to see more brokers and some of those brokers feel very strongly about that's the best way to run the business. Who knows? I certainly don't. That's not my profession, but there's no doubt on the privatizing of Fannie and Freddie that, that's, that ship has essentially sailed. It's a matter of time and what the exact plan is. And, uh, you know, they've been the, quite frankly, the government has been holding them illegally you know, over the last 10 years, sweeping all of their profits, uh, something like 300. Well, they, well, they bailed them out, right? I mean, well, yeah, reward. <laughs> yeah, I think bailed them out would be, it would, it, it, that's in the eye of the beholder. If you read some arguments there, I'm not so sure they bailed them out. Um, just like some of the banks didn't necessarily want to be bailed out who didn't need to be. Um, that's not to say Fannie and Freddie weren't in any sort of tr- uh, trouble. However, when you borrow $190 billion and repay $300 billion plus, you know, that debt's been paid and it's time to let them that's, go yeah, on. Time to let them go on. No, I agree. You know, so some of the concern here, obviously, you know, from privatizing them is, is, is first of all, you know, one of the thoughts is, yeah, you don't just leave them as two. You, you throw an M80 at them, you bust them up into, you know, 10, right? There should be a bunch of them and then they can compete. And uh, what happens with that, though, is, is, is Fannie and Freddie do, do take on a ton of risk by insuring all these loans. And so, 
you know, what happens is, is these smaller companies or, or private, private companies won't want to take on said risk, right? And, you know, mortgage insurance will increase and uh, eventually rates will increase. You agree with that? Yeah, I do. You know, I think one of the things we'll probably see happen as they get privatized, they get to go private, is that I wouldn't be surprised to see some regulations put around what they can and can't insure and what they can and can't buy. So it's basically try to almost like narrow their box uh, and not give them as much flexibility because right now, like, you know, if they were just to go totally private, they could theoretically start, you know, lending and, and insuring loans that are, you know, I'll just say out there, out of the box, right? And I think what obviously what we want to avoid is something like what happened uh, in the last run-up where, you know, no income, no asset, no verification, those types of loans just started getting out of hand. You know, you got a janitor working at, you know, some place that then gets a loan for $700,000 home with no down. You can't have that again. So there's probably going to be some regulations on what they can do, uh, which should then hopefully create more competition in that secondary market for other companies to come in and uh, start uh, buying and backing loans that are maybe a little more out of the ordinary, not your typical single family residence. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting because if you do privatize them, you know, like you said, that there's internal accountabilities with that, right? So if, the, if, if one of these private mortgage insurers, let's just call them or, or the word to use, but if one of these pieces of Fannie and Freddie or, or a private Fannie and Freddie back alone and, it goes bad, you know, they are, the, the whole concept is that they, they package them and they sell them as security. So that security will then be looked at as, well, Fannie's securities return this amount and have had this many bad loans and Freddie's return this amount and have had this many bad loans and Janie's and Arnold's and, you know, all these others. And then, and then people that invest in these or companies that invest in these, insurance companies, whatever, companies that invest in these, uh, brokerages will can determine you know which one they want to buy which one they want to invest in based on well yeah this guy had a bunch of shitty loans that went bad but his average return is this i think i'll put money in that one does yeah. this make sense i mean that's essentially what they're what yeah they're i mean that, that's ultimately what happens right and so I, I think what they've got to again i think what they're what they're looking to do is as they go back to private make sure that there's some more controls in place to avoid anything going really bad when, once they go to sell off these securities, you know, package these up and sell them the securities. So uh, we'll, we'll see everything I've read and I follow this closely. Everything I've read is that they, they should be able to the, the sweep, the treasury sweep from their profits. Probably the last one has occurred there. there I guess there could be one more that later this year, um, but it sounds like they've all, they've all, they're done with those because if they're going to let them go private, they've got to have enough cash on hand. Right now, they're only letting them keep a small amount of cash. So my guess is they'll uh, let them keep their next few quarters profits so they can build that up. They'll probably then issue more shares for sale on the open market so they can raise even more money and be more of a secured entity and then give them some new rules to go out and play with and kind of send them off back out into the wilderness. We'll see yeah. what happens. Ah, 
Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Well, anyways, the Trump speech was good. You know, he said he's going to go back in in retirement uh, when he's when, when he's finished being president. He's going to go back into real estate uh, by choice. So that uh, that was a nice way for him to kind of wrap it all up. So, uh, what do you think about Next Door here, buddy? Next Door, which is not a real estate company per se, but their revenues, uh, some of their revenues being generated through real estate companies, they raised $123 million. You know, when we say this, it sounds so easy to say, but it's basically put this company at a valuation of $2 billion or, or at a total raise of $2 billion. What do you, what, you know, is that something for real estate agents to be concerned of? That how, how does that end up on a real estate sales show like ours? Well, I mean, so the, the reality is Nextdoor is nothing more than a social platform, but it breaks down into neighborhoods. So I'll give you a great example. Like I, I was on mine yesterday because there was a couple bobcats in our neighborhood. We get wild animals. I live, I live in the desert and we get wild animals. So people post pictures like, hey, I saw a bobcat on, you know, I live in this neighborhood. It's within a couple miles of you, right? So in case you got small pets, you can bring them in. I've seen people find pets and find like services, babysitters, dog walkers, you know, just stuff kind of going on in, in your, your hyper local community mm-hmm. is kind of their focus, right? So like when you sign up, like you've got to give them the name of your subdivision, your address. They, in a lot of cases, they mail you a postcard to be able to confirm your, your identity and confirm that you belong there. And so what this does is it's got people's hyper, hyper local focused attention now, where that comes into play for us as realtors is real, real estate is a hyper-local thing, right? So selling real estate in a particular neighborhood for, for somebody who wants to be a specialist now, that's a, potentially a great advertising opportunity. So there's going to be, there's already ad revenue there. Um, they do sell ad space to realtors and, and a few other service folks. What their long game plan is, you know, I, I don't really know. Obviously, when you get enough eyeballs, you can then monetize that, and that's clearly their game. And I think they've, they've tried a few different ways to monetize now over the last 12, 18 months, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. I know that they've got an exclusive deal with Keller Williams, too, to use some of their data on the neighborhood, on the neighborhood standpoint because they've got some really good data lines as far as like what's going on in a particular neighborhood that a lot of other companies don't have. And the, and the great part of it is the fact that it's generated by the users who live in the neighborhood, and they've, and they've verified that they live in that neighborhood. So my guess is... Well, yeah. Well, well, if you're going back to that, what you said about being able to post a market analysis, if you're the agent... Now, I don't know if all agents can do this, but if you're the agent that's allowed to post a market analysis uh, every week, uh, people are curious about that stuff. You know, what's going on? Oh, this house sold for this or this house sold for this. Providing you give a lot of details, you know, people love that. I used to pay money to be on the back page of neighborhood newsletters you know and i got a ton of listings from it you know just all i would do is post a market analysis yeah i mean everything from that to like advertising your open houses in the neighborhood yeah so we'll see what happens i think it's going to continue to be a bigger player in the real estate landscape and so that's i definitely thought it was worthy of adding here on this uh, real estate show because um, they're going to continue to show up as a player in our industry yeah, and so you know, one of the thoughts on that too is exclusive listings are coming soon that people are putting on next door, and that is leads to our next topic of discussion. This council of MLSs met in D.C. last week. 
right? And there was some brimstone and, and fire being spit on the microphone. They were like uh, the, uh, you know, some of these new brokers that are coming into town, right? Yeah. Are, are looting our industry is what was said. Now talk to me about that. Yeah, kind of looting the industry and uh, sort of a free-for-all, I think, was some of the other words used there. You know, I think the important thing here is is, uh, is Danae Evans, who she is the counsel for multiple listing services CEO, participated in a few prep calls with Department of Justice officials and repeatedly asked one question, what does this do for the consumer? Now, that's a double-edged sword, if you ask me, because in my my humble opinion, I think what, we're in wait a minute, what does what do for the consumer? Let's, I think our point was like there's these these companies or people as, as they said looting the industry uh, in this. And then to be specific, she was talking about uh, number one, Long and Foster, and number two, Compass, because Compass came out with a a Compass exclusives, and Long and Foster came out with a coming soon. And, and it, it ties into that private MLS that we talked about before, PMLS. So now everybody, just like everybody getting into iBuyers, everybody's getting into coming soons. And uh, she's all hell bent out of shape about it. So keep going. Yeah, so she, I'll, I want to read this because I think this is a good, good point. She, here's a quote from her. She said, the drive for competitive advantage for a market differentiator for market share, I really believe is sort of going after the heart of our industry. I'm a little concerned. She said, I believe it's short-sighted and not necessarily the best, in the best interest of the consumer. And I, I, you know, personally, Pat, I, I don't disagree with her. No, I, I agree with her. I, I agree with her on that. But my, my other, the opposite side of that coin to me is that we, as a behavior, as, a, as an industry, have behaved that way ourselves. That wasn't necessarily in the best interest of the consumer. It's been in the best interest of the realtor or the broker. And that's not okay either. And so, I, I, like, for us to say these guys are bad and we're good. To me, that's no different than Gary Keller standing on stage and saying Zillow's bad or Boomtown's bad or Commissions Inc. is bad, but I'm good with your data. I won't take your data, but those guys are bad guys. Uh, like the reality is, is as an industry, we're in this position because we didn't always ask that question ourselves. What's in the best interest of the, of the consumer? Well, that's, so she, that's, that's why she kept asking the Justice Department, what's in the best interest of the consumer? You know, how, how does it been like, when Long and Foster creates this, you know, exclusive thing on their website where only certain buyers can get at it, right? Any certain buyers can get at that listing. And that's Kevin Kaufman's grandma wants to buy a house. Is it fair for grandma Kaufman that she can only get it through a Long and Foster agent if her son is an agent with EXP. Is that so? You know what I mean. I mean, so, oh, yeah. so is that fair for for your grandmother? Yes or no? You know what? I think it's for for the grandmother to to make the to make that judgment call. I mean, this is. I think at the end of the day, what we've got to do is we've got to let the consumers decide what what they want. And and like this is, there's no doubt this is challenging the status quo. What I'm more concerned of is the seller. Like, does that, does it, is it fair for that seller to only have it, say, on that one website versus everywhere, on the MLS, on Zillow, on Redfin, on the agent, on the seller's yeah, personal Yeah, right. Yeah, for the, yeah, I agree with that too, right? I, I don't think it's, here's the thing, what, you know, hmm, is it, okay, so is it fair for grandma? No. Is it fair for the seller? No, because you know the seller, 
I don't want to use the word lied to, but the, 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 you know the seller's been told that's, that's this, my point. This, this is going to benefit you because someone will, will pay more for it. Or this is going to benefit you by less showing time, which in the long run could make you more money, which it, I guess it could. But in reality, by putting it in an auction-type atmosphere, it's going to make the most money. You know, I, I don't know if it's if it's disclosed to, to the seller that, hey, you know, by putting it in Compass exclusives, you may sell it for a lot less than if you brought it to an auction with 8,000 agents that know about it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a slippery slope, but there's two sides to this. You know, I, I think the, the part of the problem is, is like it's the, the barrier to entry in our industry is low. And it's not, like that is a... There, those are conversations that are have you know those are had at the kitchen table, you know Pat, you've had plenty of those conversations with sellers in your career, and I know you're a fair and honest guy, and but not everybody is, and I think that that's something that because we've allowed that to be in our industry for so long, that we now have to deal with the consequences of that, which is we've got these outside forces, whether it's Compass, it's not, I mean Compass is is a brokerage and, and they're not you know they're different. Long and Foster <laughs> in a brokerage, and the, but we've got these other companies that are coming in and going, hey, you know, I, I don't know. Well, and then what happens is everyone starts doing it, right? Um, everyone starts doing it because because it becomes okay. Before it was a taboo, right? I mean, I I you know back in the day I tried to do some of that, right? And and I got holy hell, <laughs> you know, for I don't you how you're not allowed to do that. And I always went to the broker and say, you're allowed to do it so long as they, the seller knows that you're doing it. But, but what Renee was saying, or Danae Evans was saying, and, and this is a quote, she said, some of these brokers right, are putting profit first. And I don't need to go into any more of what she said other than that statement because yep. putting profit, so you got to ask as long as Foster and Compass, are they putting profit first? You know, are they putting their agents getting paid first? Yes, which they're allowed to do. And again, this is capitalism. You know what I mean? It's fine. It's okay. It's not illegal, right? But her point is, hey, we need something. She even said, this is an opportunity for a heavy hand to come in and tell us how to operate. Like, we're not allowed to do this anymore, guys. The MLSs are not, we're not going to allow this to happen. And my thought on that is, First of all, I don't think that that's possible. I don't think you could come in and tell, you know, Compass and Long and Foster, you cannot do this. And, and there's many other companies that are doing this, by the way. I'm not picking on those two, but those just happen to be the two big ones that, that were mentioned. I'll tell you what is going to actually solve this problem in a true capitalist society, in a true free market. And, and it, it probably wasn't discussed there. But it's certainly been discussed with me or you. It's a decoupling of the damn commission. Because if your grandmother was dealing with a platform where it was a decoupled commission, it wouldn't matter. She would then go to you and say, son or, or grandson, can I pay you two grand to write me a contract? There's a listing I want to buy on Compass's website, you would say yes, and Compass would be, that's cool, because we're not making any additional monies anyways by selling it in-house. Am I making sense? That will solve the, the problem once and yeah. for Yeah, I mean, I think, I think bottom line is, it's just, it's just another sign of the times. There's a lot of changes that are probably coming, and this is just another example of the way, think, where we're at, 
right? This is just where we're at today. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens as time goes on and more of this gets brought up to Department of Justice and other government officials. I know this, man. I know as things change and as, and as industries rely on the laws and the way things have, quote, always been, the less, the, the less likely their future is uh, rosy. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, last thing we'll talk about is uh, finally, right? They, they, there's some apps coming out. Uh, there's an app called Earnest, and uh, one has been out for rent for a while called Dwala. But what they're trying to do is get rid of the check, right? Get rid of the Earnest money deposit check. And and so again, why are we talking about this on this show? Why is this why is this newsworthy for real estate agents? Well, I mean, the reality is, is, like you said, you're talking about a physical check. Like, think about it. When you deposit the earnest check, depending on where you're at, what state and what your role is, like, you might have to take it to the title company or have it couriered or the, the seller's got to go get certified funds. Like, this, is, this should be electronic. Writing a check is no more secure or going and getting a, a secured check or a money order is no more secure than being able to le- electronically transfer funds, right? So this is essentially, if you will, a Venmo specifically for earnest deposits. And quite frankly, it's long overdue. Like this should have been around years ago. What, like why wasn't this out a long, something like this out a long time ago? Yeah. So this, I mean, if, this, if our kids can Venmo us and Cash App and Apple Pay for stuff, right? You know, why can't I put an, an earnest money deposit with an app on a phone? And actually, it's, I would feel better as a buyer because and as a seller number one as a buyer feel better because i knew the money went into the account right and so they got my money it must mean i I, you know no one's gonna screw me on this contract number two you know as a seller i know that the agent that didn't take the deposit and stick it in his drawer i remember one instance uh in my history where an agent that worked for me took an earnest money deposit and put it in his dumbass drawer and let it sit there. And then the deal fell through after the home inspection. And I had to pay him out of, out of corporate funds or, you know, whatever. I had to pay for that. It was a disagreement. And rather than take it to court, I was like, here, take, here's your money back. And I paid for it out of my own pocket. Am I making sense? Yeah. You know, yeah. Because he didn't deposit it in time. Again, most of our problems come back with the, because of the way we've behaved over time. But this just something r- ridiculous. Like, Something this small, if you will, it's big because it's a lot of money. But the fact that we, we should be able to do this electronically, there's no reason to me as the real professional to check. It's not my, those funds aren't mine, right? I'm not a party to the contract and I'm certainly not supposed to be holding those funds. So why not just make it electronic, make it secure, make it a, a very easy process. This Again, this is all about making it easy for the consumer. So I love the idea of this Earnest app. Uh, they're not yet available in the app stores. They've got, a, they've got a website where you can go on and use. I, I want to say they've already got like 12,000 banks that they can be linked to, but hopefully that'll be out in the, in the app stores, the Google Play and, and the Apple App Store here soon, and we can start using this. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. And then, of course, the real estate agent might say, hey, well, what if I just want to make an offer? You know, well, that's fine too. You know, they don't have to necessarily, you don't necessarily, I don't know if the whole concept of putting your money where your mouth is, is, is relevant. Meaning let, let's say, you know, okay, you put an offer. So you write a check for $10,000 and put it with the offer. And that's, that's a token considering you're putting your money where your mouth is. But in reality, it's going to take three or four days to 
to clear that check anyways, and you could cancel it, right? So by by signing something that says you're going to commit to Venmoing 10 grand or whatever the app is called, 10 grand, is the same thing. And there's and and a lot of this disruptive technology now is going to, you know, like Redfin Direct, which is letters of intent, right? Just like commercial real estate agents anyway. So if you're going to do a letter of intent, you might want to put you could probably put your bank number. You could probably, you know, sign something that says or, or verify something that says this money will be transferred upon you agreeing to it again, or 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 a credit card number. There's there's other ways to put your money where your mouth is, where you don't need a physical check. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah, no need for physical checks anymore. It's bad enough they still get used at the grocery store. So when you're in line. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, I think all right, that's Kevin, all, all we got good. for this week. It's been a it's been a fun week, and I'm glad you're back from from vacation. Looking forward to, uh, to hanging out with real estate rock stars next uh, next week too on State of the Market. All right, brother. Have a good one. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Thanks for tuning into the State of the Market podcast with your host Pat Hyben and Kevin Kaufman. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Market. If you have any news you would like us to cover, please go to Next Level Agents on Facebook or send an email to info at rebusuniversity.com. That's info at rebusuniversity, R-E-B-U-S, university.com, and we'll be sure to bring it up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.